This is The Deal with Nisim Black. Hello, Willers and Dillers. You know who it is. It's Nisim Black, a.k.a. Godsman, a.k.a. Hitler's Worst Nightmare, a.k.a. Sammy Davis' cousin, a.k.a. Yehuda Blackaby. I was born in Seattle to hip-hop parents. I got in trouble as a kid, but I was able to make a major life turnaround. I was a Muslim in my younger years. I became a Christian in my teens, only to discover that my soul was Jewish all along. So I picked up with my wife, and we moved to Israel, where we are today. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been looking forward to this interview for so long with my brother from another, Yehoshaphat ben Avraham, otherwise known as Amari Stoudemire. He is a superstar basketball player whose career started in Phoenix. He went on to New York and then ended up here in Israel. He was a six-time All-Star player during his career in the NBA and a two-time All-Star here in Israel, including finishing as the finals MVP for Maccabi Tel Aviv in 2020, my brother. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Deal, finally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel good. Thank God, man. I feel good. Before I even get into the questions, I already right. got to ask you, right. man, when are you coming home? We miss you. The land misses you. Yeah, I'm trying to... I know, bro. It's a great question. I'm trying to make it happen right now. We're in all season, and we are figuring out, like, summer league schedule and what the team's going to be doing and draft and so forth. Uh, so right now, I'm basically in limbo, depending on how the NBA schedule turns out for the summer. So my first official question is, is why? Because it's a humble restart. No lights, no fame for this, no endorsements over here. You're not going to start, you know, uh, you know, selling seats or anything. You are at the height of your career. You are the man. You're the man's man on the court, off the court, stardom, fame, uh, wealth, success. And somehow, some way, find yourself being lured and attracted to Judaism, which is like, huh? You know, how did it happen? You know, what was the first thing that caught you? How did you get started on this journey? Yeah, it's interesting, man, because um, when I was when I was young, like my early my early young years, my mother and her husband were both explaining to me and my brother that we are very well could be from the lost tribes of Israel and that we should find our way connecting back to uh, the laws of Moses. And at that time, funny enough, it made sense to me. You know, even at a young age, I felt like that was that sound about right. And then so throughout my, you know, youth upbringing, I to start learning as I went on. And obviously I wasn't in the Jewish community. I didn't know any Jewish people at the time. It was just me and, and just learning on my own and just reading and just trying to make sense of it all. And then once I got into the NBA, continued that learning. I started learning with other guys uh, who were who were also somewhat, you know, trying to to find a, a path of righteousness. And then once I got to New York, that's well, actually right before I got to New York, I linked up with the rabbi who was saying to me that what I'm teaching, what I'm learning is very accurate. And he would love to learn with me. And so once I got to New York, I started learning with the rabbi there. And then sure enough, man, years later, I ended up coming in and, and becoming a citizen in Israel. It's crazy. So when you on this journey, you meet this rabbi, 
now you're already in the NBA. And obviously this is going to, this is life startling thing. I know my own journey. It's not, it's not something where it's like, it's a small thing. It's like looking up the mountain. I was like, okay, well, I already learned and I know this much. There's more. <laughs> and then on top of that, right. then there's more, you know, how was it for each transition? You know, because most people don't know when people go through that journey of, of having to go through a conversion or a gayness or, or, you know, even people who are just returning back home. How do you did you handle each step? Was it always did you meet it with resistance with the next thing like, you know, uh, Shabbat and all the laws of Shabbat or Kashrut and all those different things like that? Did you meet those things with the resistance where it was very hard first or was it like a flow and things were easy for you? It was actually kind of hard at first. I mean, when I first started learning about, you know, keeping Shabbat and the laws of keeping Shabbat. I'm like, there's no way. Like, how, how is this possible? And so I think what helped me a lot is like guys like yourself who I saw as an example of what can, what can be done if I just stayed a course, even though it felt very uncomfortable at first because coming from a total different background and then get, and getting engulfed into like Orthodox Judaism, it took a while for me to understand everything that that encompasses. But I thank God for allowing me to have like the open heart and the humbleness to be able to now put my ego aside and become somewhat of a rookie again in a different world and learn from the scratch of not being able to read Hebrew or write to now reading and writing and so forth. Just learning from scratch, Unisim actually paved the way for a lot of us to be able to see like what the goals are and what we can accomplish if we just stay the course. Man, that's very sweet of you. And uh, I would like to say I learned a lot from you. You see, because one thing that I notice is your ability to just be so humble and to ask the question. So many times people fake like they know what it is or they're put in a position, you know, after I've been on this journey for a while and everybody expects that I should know the answer. So sometimes it's hard to say, I don't know. And just seeing you soak up everything like a sponge, whether it was in yeshiva, not only were you, you know, receiving anything from me, but you you were just really so so ready to learn and so eager to learn and, and humble about it, you know. So I really want to say that I learned a lot from you and I really picked up. I was even talking to my wife about it, just how impressed I was with your just your ability to just humble yourself in a situation in a world that, you know, wasn't always familiar to you. Because not everybody who comes from our background um, are able to humble themselves when they come in because they feel like they already know everything. So it takes a big thing to be able to stop them because just like you said, you know, being a rookie again sort of puts you in a position to be able to grow that much more, right? To be able to start off, like you said, like a rookie and to be able to grow and, and, and eventually become a veteran in this game. So you should know, sir, you inspired me. So now your newfound relationship with Judaism um, encompasses a lot of new things, right? And the biggest question or the elephant in the room all the time for, for anybody who finds himself uh, returning back to the people um, in whatever case is how does people take it around you? There's a lot of different things that people were not aware of. How did your family feel? How did your friends feel? The NBA peers, people that you know you were involved with in terms of your career, how did they feel about it? Yeah, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, when the initial situation happened, like when I first traveled to Israel, people were somewhat asking, why am I going to Israel for vacation? I can go to Ibiza, I can go to, you know, I can go anywhere in the world. Why am I going to Israel? And at that time, it was a secret about what my, 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 my roots were. 
you know, my heritage was. And I, I really wasn't explaining it to the rest of the world very much. I would drop a few hints here and there. But uh, but once I traveled to Israel, I think it was 2010. And when people start discovering my Hebraic roots, that's when it became something massive. I think my family was somewhat trying to figure out what that meant. Uh, it's funny because my uncle, who was a Christian pastor for 30 something plus years. And then once he saw my journey and what I was learning, he sat down with me and said, nephew, everything you're learning and saying is absolutely correct. <clears throat> that confirmation from someone who's from a same family, but different background per se, to confirm the learnings that, that we're doing and that we were doing in Israel was confirmation that I was on the right path. And so my family was open, you know, open with it. Uh, my friends were also somewhat understanding because they saw my journey along the way. Uh, so it wasn't really a strange moment for me. The only strange part about it was, is when I came back from Israel and now I have, you know, my keeper on, I have my seat somewhere in my, you know, my black and white. A lot of people didn't understand what that meant. I and mean, then I think now they're starting to understand. Right. So how do you express that? Because like, you know, after a while, I just got so tired of everybody asking me questions, you know, in the Jewish world, they question the authenticity of my Judaism. I wouldn't say the authenticity of my Judaism, like my conversion, I think, but in terms of how devoted am I to my Yiddishkeit and people that, that were similar when I was, uh, you know, in JFK or, you know, or wherever I was in New York or something like that. All the black people also to asking me, like, you know, are you still black? Like, you, you know, like you switched up, like, you know, and I got tired of it. So I dropped Motherland Bounce. That was the reason why that right. song came about. I felt like, you know, I had to be able to give a disclaimer. Uh, my expression through the arts is through music. So I made a song and I'm going to sum it up in a song in three minutes or so right. of what I am and who I am. How do you feel like you express that? Because it's like you can't keep answering the same question over and over and over again for so many different people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a matter of if they ask me that I'm willing to answer. Mm-hmm. I'm opposed to it. I want I want people to be curious. I want questions. I want people to ask mm-hmm. so I can give them a bit of inf- information about God on, along the way, right? So that's like an easy way to transition over conversation wow. and, get in, and bring them closer to God if they if they are curious and want to ask. But yeah, I do see like from the Jewish world being like a minority, basically as like a man of color in that space. I felt like when I first got to Israel, I'm like, where's everyone else? I'm the only guy. I felt a little bit like an eyeball. Right. Then I noticed that I wasn't the only one. And then my learnings continued to push through and, and everything became much greater because the seriousness of learning seemed to prevail over anything or, or any stigmatism someone may have or had have at that time. Um, so that stigmatism was gone because of the focus on, because of my focus on learning. Um, and then from when I got back to America, everyone noticed kind of my change in behavior. So then that respect also grew. So it's actually coming together at the right time. Amazing. So now going back, I don't know how it happened. Somehow you get a call, email, WhatsApp from Steve Nash or somebody over there. And he says to me, which, you know, I got a problem. So when I get there anyway, we're going to sit down. I'm going to sit down with Steve and say, man, you took my guy from Israel. <laughs> you know, we, we're going to have to talk about it. But anyway. Right, right. That call comes in, that whatever, what are you thinking? Because at one point, I know you were thinking about going back. You were doing three-on-three, you know, during the summer and, um, you know, potentially was going to go back to the NBA in some type of way, some form of fashion. How did that come about? I was actually thinking about going back to Israel. 
to play with Maccabi again this past season. Right. And I was on standby because I was away last year. My son lived with me last year in Israel and I was somewhat away from the rest of my family uh, for that year and I was stuck there during COVID. Mm -hmm. So it was a long, it was a long year for me being away from the family and not being able to travel back and forth to see them. Right. And so I was like in limbo when I got back to the States whether I'm going to play again next season or should I just take a year off and relax. So I was having all these thoughts and then when Steve Nash got the job with the Brooklyn Nets and, you know, I felt like reconnecting with him on the coaching side would be a smart move. It keeps me, it gives me something to do. Uh, and then they have a good team. We had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, which I thought would be NBA champions uh, or contenders. And so I was like, you know, let me reach out to Steve and see if there's a possibility there. And then once I got the, the hire, I moved to New York and I, I've, I've been here ever since. That's amazing. It's a story, you know, that was a story for the NBA this year of you teaming back up with Nash and being able to have that, like to be able to do something that was so big for NBA culture. So now the season ends and didn't go exactly the way we all wanted it to. So how does it feel now being the guy in the suit as opposed to being in the in the basketball suit? You know what I mean? Because, you know, getting close to, to the dance and right. being a player, I, I would imagine that the disappointment maybe is a little bit different. You know, being a coach on the business side, there's there's other things back and you're already thinking maybe, you know, draft, all, all these other things that's that's probably going on through your head. And, and trade what is it like now not being the guy on the court but being a coach well I think for me it's a learning curve right because I never coached before I never thought about coaching before it was never a mindset of mine mm -hmm. I actually thought about coaching college high school or college basketball mm -hmm. back when I was you know early years in the NBA I'm like this would be a cool gig mm -hmm. um, but I have never really took it serious as far as that was, is concerned um, and so, and, and being a player last year, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like, you know, I still can play. I right. won the championship. I got, I got the finals MVP. <laughs> right. And I got, you know, one got all-star MVPs and everything. Like I had a, like, I still can play. I still, my health is still great. So now being with the coaching staff and then now being, you know, trying to learn how to manage that personality along with being an ex-player, mm -hmm. there's a level of respect that has to occur mm -hmm. that comes from playing and coaching. Right. right. So coaching side, you're like, OK, the players look at you as a coach and they will ask you questions on the player side. You have more swagger. You're more like, you know, you kind of have your own groove going. Right. Uh, so I was caught like in between both those spaces <laughs> this year because I was like a player and also a coach, which the players enjoyed because I can relate to them. Right. That's amazing. Did it hurt just as bad? Like, you know what I'm saying? Obviously not being able to cross the line and make it to the finals. Did it feel the same way as a player or do you feel like it was a little bit different? It was a little bit different. I felt a little bit, bit more this year because I, I really felt like we had a chance to win a championship. Right. And we had a, we had a couple of injuries with to Kyrie and, and James Harden right. uh, that slowed us down uh, this year. So I felt like it was, it was definitely the same type of hurt that we felt when you were player mm -hmm. but i do feel like the future is bright for us once these guys get healthy and get ready to go so we're talking about dancing between the two worlds of being an NBA player and an NBA coach. Not a lot of people jump in when they still feel like they can lace up their sneakers, you know, so you had to do that. But you're also in another two worlds. You're in the NBA world and you're also in the Jewish world, the Orthodox Jewish world, and balancing that. So I know the first thing that happened, and it's very interesting because, you know, Kyan said to God after the whole incident happened with Hevel with, uh, with Abel, he says, am I my brother's keeper? I used to watch a movie back in the day <laughs> that you 
you probably know of also too, called New Jack City. Right. And they will always say, I am my brother's keeper, right? Right. And the reason why I bring that up is, is because every single thing that happens, if you end up in the news for anything, my phone blows up. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you know? And I'm always thinking to myself, am I my brother's keeper? I must be, right? Right, absolutely. So as soon as everybody knew that you were going to the Nets or whatever, Nisim, what's going on? What's going on with Yoshifat? Is he, what's with Shabbos? What's, what's, what's going on? What's he going to do? And I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, you guys just told me new information. I didn't even know. No, he didn't tell me anything, right? So I reached out to you, and I don't know how in the world you were able to do this, uh, you know, obviously because people respect you, but to be able to negotiate a contract where you're able to take off Shabbos is amazing. Talk to me about that process and other things that you may have to do with dancing in between these two worlds. Yeah, there's definitely, there's loopholes, right? There's ways you can still, not necessarily work, but there's ways you can figure out around not working on Shabbos. Because I had this conversation back when I was playing in Israel. I'm like, how do I not play on, how do I not play on Shabbat? Like if there's a game on Shabbat, what do I do? And so there's there's ways you can make it happen where someone opens the door for you. you there's, there's ways you can still make it work. But my thing was with the Nets, I wanted to figure out if it's okay without being a major interruption to what the norm is, I want to see if I'm able to now take Shabbat off. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it was ever done before. I don't think it was ever a conversation before within NBA history. Mm-hmm. And so for me to have that conversation with the front office, they were okay with it because they saw my journey. They see my improvement. They see where I'm holding. Uh, they know it's not just trying to take days off. Right. You know, it's a serious deal. And, and so they respected enough to say, you know what, Amar, we give you Shabbat off. And, you know, and that's how it worked. That's crazy. So as I mentioned, I'm another guy who also has to dance between these two worlds, dance between the hip-hop world and, and the Jewish world. And people always ask me, like, how do you make the balance? And my thing is, I always say that it's not really so much for me that I'm trying to make a balance. I'm a Yid, I'm a Jew, and every world that I'm in is a world of Yiddishkeit, no matter where the world is. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm there, then Hashem's presence is there. Right. And that's the way that I look at it. And that's the way I've been able to explain it. So you obviously are also two dancing between these two worlds, as we, as we just mentioned. So when you are, you know, team whatevers and photo shoots and everybody, you know, in my, my profession too, everybody wants to go out for dinner. Everybody wants to go, you know, <laughs> how it goes. So like, how do you feel or how do you feel like you're able to balance the two worlds? Yeah, I think once they understand what I'm holding, like once my friends and peers understand, okay, Friday night of Mars, he's tapped out. And then Saturday night, you guys can call me back and we can we can get active again you know and so they understand that and i think for the most part a lot of people start to respect it after a while once they under once they get the gist of what you're where you're holding then people start to respect it and they will only approach they will only call you like on the times when you're available and they, you know i turn my phone off and i speak to them on saturday night right so i can imagine too are you are you taking everybody out to kosher restaurants man <laughs> Yeah, when they come to town, man, I try to turn them on to a couple spots. You got New York. New York actually got a couple cool restaurants out here, so right, right. You know, I try to take them out. <laughs> it's a little bit easier, man. It's a little bit easier over there. The homies pull up at the kosher spot, like, man, where are we? I'm like, man, listen, we're at the best spot in town. <laughs> they get once they start tasting that good steak, they're like, hey, I'm coming back for more. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's a place over there I was at last time I was there. You were supposed to come, but you fell asleep. Place called Meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah, it's a good spot, man. I went over there, man. I've been dreaming about it ever since. I should I should stay away. I got to stay away from places like that. And it's keto-friendly. Right. What is the most impactful book, rabbi, 
what was it for you that made you feel like this makes me want to just change my life? Or this has given me so much inspiration that I feel like I can walk through walls or whatever it is. You know, obviously the Torah, you know, supersedes everything, right? For sure. But I think that what gravitated me the most to it was my my process of conversion. Mm -hmm. Because I was learning on a daily basis and every day I was learning something new. And we went over every topic, the laws of Shabbat, the laws of cooking on Shabbat, you know, all the Yom Tovs. Mm-hmm. So all these things that I that I did in an organized learning segment was the best thing for me, bro. And I, when I was going through that, I was like, "This is what I want." Wow. I mean, I, I would wake up, I would wake up four in the morning to catch a shear, the, the rabbi teaching to a group in Mexico. I go back to sleep, wake up for seven. Wow. I was totally, I was totally involved with it because it was so enlightening to me. And I wanted more and more and more. And still today, I'm like looking for more structured learning. Right. Even though I'm already done with my uh, conversion process, but the way I learned and how I learned during that space, that's the land I want to be in with my structured learning. And and so that helped me somewhat transition over. So now you're blazing new trails in the NBA. Do you feel like this is your shlichut? Do you feel like this is what Hashem put you in the world to do? That this is your job to the world to go and be a light in a place where at least a light like this has never been seen before? Yeah, I think so. In, in a sense, I think it's still happening for me, right? Like it's still somewhat manifesting. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, there's always more to learn. And so and there's always ways to somewhat be innovative with teaching, having a certain swagger help with the young crowd, mm-hmm. having a sense of intelligence help with the older crowd, like a way that you somewhat mold yourself. And I think for me, I'm still molding myself. I haven't really tapped into my full potential yet when it comes to Yiddishkeit and, and teaching. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is where I'm headed. And, and, and the more the more I, you know, the more I learn and, and study, the better, you know, that'll happen for me. So what was the reason why you chose the name Yehoshaphat? Or how was it given to you? How was it, how did it come about? It's funny, my Kravusa, uh, who I was learning with, um, you know, I, knew, I needed a Hebraic name. I asked him, I said, yo, I need, I need you to give me like a, you know, a meaningful, spiritual Hebraic name. And he went back for a few days and came back to me and said, Yehoshaphat. Like, Yehoshaphat. <laughs> like, yo, you got all the names in the, out of all the names in the tour, you gonna give me a fight? <laughs> I'm like, who's this guy? He's like, go learn about him. <laughs> so I went and learned about him. I'm like, all right, this is this is this is where I need to be. This is this is a strong name. I never heard it before, but I'm like, all right, you know, if you name me this, if you dub me this name, then I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it regardless whether it's intriguing name or not, you know. And so it became something greater because when I got to Israel, no one, you know, has the name Yehoshaphat. Uh, there's Yehoshaphat Street in Jerusalem. Right. And the Valley of Yehoshaphat. And then and then my Kavrusa, our Kavrusa, Zakaria, the Kever, you guys discovered the Kevers. Right. They're right next to each other, uh, right there in, in, in Jerusalem. So it's a strong name. Amazing, amazing. Now let's move into Stat Academy. That's what I want to get to. Stat Academy is your online learning program that I think you worked in conjunction maybe with some information with Rabbi Rosenberg, which I was able also to speak to. What is it? Are you still using it today to create awareness for people to understand the not only the importance, but to try to make an awareness of, of the lost tribes? Yeah, exactly. Because my awareness that my mother basically taught, told me about her husband of the Lost Tribes, I was somewhat not completely understanding of what that meant. 
Mm-hmm. And so I had, to, I had to learn about that. And as my learnings preceded me, then Rabbi Rosenberg reached out and we started learning together. And he, his family has a history of finding the lost tribes of Israel. We dive into the lost tribes back from the four corners of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we built the Stat Academy course, our objective was to figure out a way to now start from the beginning of, of the Torah and figure out exactly what happened to this diaspora. Where did they go? How did things shift? Just so we can give everybody clarity on on the diaspora, mm-hmm. uh, which is a major topic right now. It's a major topic within the within the governmental space. Politicians are, are trying to figure it out. And so we have, we built the course, Rabbi Rosenberg and I, that explains a lot of information that, that people are trying to discover about the diaspora. Right. So a lot of people right now are waking up. There's so many different groups. I discussed it with him at length. I talked to Rudy Rahman, who, you know, I, I try to turn you on to him also too. He's doing some great work in that space also too, of just people just really feeling like there's a major yearning to return and to find their way back to Harsinai, if you will. And it feels like it's Chaval because there's not enough coming out from from the community as a whole doing this outreach, right? Especially to the communities that that we were from and all the different similarities of of history, even with the African-American community as well. Have you been actively involved in people from your own community and creating awareness and and trying to, like, to some degree, because we're not proselytizing. We're not allowed to proselytize to some degree, but to create an awareness, but to be able to sort of wake people up to to the fact that, hold on, it could be it could be right exactly and that's that's my thing i, I don't i don't over exceed myself i don't try to overly teach someone who's not willing to learn right. I'm more so like an answer guy like if you ask questions i'll give you the answers right and so yeah i mean i think just having an awareness and being beacons of you know light for the people so they can see what a zodiac is supposed to be and so they can have a somewhat reach for those stars i think before there wasn't many of us in, in this mm-hmm. jewish orthodox space that we had as, as examples mm-hmm. that we can follow. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was the first generation, I'm the first generation guy in my, in my family. I'm like the first, I, I, didn't, I didn't see a lot of African-American Orthodox Jews when I was coming up or before I made my conversion process. Right. Uh, I ran into you guys in Israel, uh, which is very helpful. But before that, I really had no examples right. from my community that was right. in that space. And so for me now to be an example for the next generation and you, you as well, you know, it allows us to really to set the record, you know, straight for them so they can start following a righteous path. Right. So the question is, what's next? You know, how long before you get back to Israel, actually? What's next? Is it, are you Nets crazy right now? You you wake up thinking about the Nets, go to sleep thinking about the Nets. Of course, obviously, you're thinking of Torah and, and, and learning and mikvah and all the, all the other holy things. But what, what else happens next? Hey, you know what? We, we'll see, man. I think occupational-wise, I'm still, you know, with the Nets now. We'll see what happens next year and what that entails. For sure, plan on going back to Israel. I have to find my Esau out there. So I'm, I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely flying back to the land, you know, but not only for that, though, but see right. friends and family I haven't seen in a while and, and get back to my yeshiva and start learning. So I can't I can't wait to get back to the land for sure. Well, we're waiting on you, man. Waiting on you. I appreciate you coming on. Really do. And uh, I'm going to be there in a few weeks. So no, no excuses, man. No falling asleep, man. <laughs> no, I got you, brother. We, we'll link up a sword this time. I wish you every every bracha in the book. To the Nassim Black, thanks, brother. We talk soon. All right, talk soon. All right, brother. So again, another amazing discussion here on the deal. 
with the man himself. And one of the biggest reasons why I even wanted to have this interview, apart from him just being a dynamite individual and a real individual, was the fact that he, just like I, have to dance to some degree in these two worlds. And as I mentioned in the interview, it's sort of like bringing our world into that world. And uh, I wanted to be able to provide the audience with a with a straight answer from the man himself. You know, as I mentioned, you know, us being brothers and being friends and being close and people knowing about it, you know, I get messages left and right. So now everybody hears it from himself. Not only is he holding it down, but he's he's just being a big Kiddush Hashem. He's sanctifying God's name in places where it would have never been heard and would have never even been thought of at least not in, not in this fashion. So that was real, and it's very, very real to me. Um, because of that, I have to leave you with a song, and a song that is going to put a little pep in your step. In fact, it may even make you bounce. So my song today is Motherland Bounce, and I think it's appropriate to leave you with it for reasons mentioned in the conversation. So until next time, I want you to be strong and only go from strength to strength. From Seattle, the rainy city where my mom lived In Jerusalem, the golden city that was conquered But still we moving onward, motherland conquest Smell me like an armpit, yeah, yeah. We gon' play it loud until it's chillin', yeah, yeah We gon' blow the roof up off the building, yeah, yeah We gon' play that motherland bounce Check it out now, motherland bounce Check it out now, motherland bounce my mama told me that I read good Been on my straight and narrow But my history is the hood Thank God today that we could Buy a box of Cheerios or kicks I can even buy tricks I'm no longer on wick EBT car rip In my passport lip Stamp like a notary From every country that I went Ain't a country like this From the others you've been sent Black is beautiful This gon' be the motherland hit Yeah, yeah We gon' play it loud until they feel it Yeah, yeah We gon' blow the roof up off the building Motherland bounce, check it out now. Motherland bounce, check it out now. Motherland bounce, we baba. Yeah, yeah, bounce. Thank you so much for listening to The Deal with me, Nisim Black. It's a production of the Joshua Network. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. Our producer is Gilad Brownstein. Please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at The Deal with NB. And subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast content. Please share this with your friends so that they can get this raw and riveting stuff from me, yours truly, God's Man. We gon' play it loud until it's chillin', yeah, yeah We gon' blow the roof up off the building, yeah, yeah We gon' play that motherland bounce Check it out now, motherland bounce Check it out now, motherland bounce We baba, yeah We gon' play it loud until it's chillin', yeah, yeah We gon' blow the roof up off the building, yeah, yeah We gon' play that motherland bounce
motherland bounce. Check it out now, motherland bounce. Check it out now, motherland bounce. We baba.